Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Yours, Mine, and Ours. Uh, it's a good one. We're on set. Uh, Moonlighters Club, back with the Boston Ujima Project. And I came as for the I came as black as possible today. Yes. Black yes. as possible. We're here at Black Market. Feel free to introduce yourself to sure. the folks. Hey, everybody. I'm Kai, Kai Grant. I'm the founder of Black Market Nubian. Uh, we founded Black Market in 2017 with a mission to reignite the creative economy of Roxbury and also to help close a quarter of a million dollar wealth gap. Nice. Well, first of all, thank you for doing that. You're uh, welcome. This, is a, this, is, this uh, interview means a lot to me. I went to school at the Timothy. Oh, uh, yes. And so I was at Dudley Square. Dudley Square. Right. All Dudley, the time. Back in the day. Dudley right. Square. Dudley Square. Right. Uh, and now it's Nubian Square. Yep. Uh, and growing up in Boston, you just didn't think these things would ever happen. Yeah. So I really appreciate you having this space. And I think it's really cool. So yes. uh, where are you from? I'm from Roxbury. This is, this is where I was born. I was born in Codman Park, which are a series of housing projects right down going towards Eggleston. Um, I'm four generations Roxbury, and we have two more generations after me that are still here. Um, part of the reason we established Black Market is to help create pathways of income and opportunities for micro-businesses and artisans and activists and artists so that they could retain, um, you know, residency here inside of Roxbury and be able to afford the ever-increasing rents. Yeah. So prior to Black Market, what were you doing professionally? Professionally, um, you know, I, I wear many crowns. So um, I, would, I would say that my retail, my career in retail was where, you know, my trajectory was prior to opening Black Market. But the economic downturn of 2008-2009, um, actually the store that I managed in Copley Place closed. And my husband encouraged me to get involved in community development and learn more about real estate development and how that can transform a community. Um, and also I established a, a nonprofit for young women called Diamond Girls Boston. And we taught entrepreneurial thinking and action and how to become a producer versus a consumer, and different principles that kind of support collective work and responsibility, which is what Ujima is all about, and tie that in with what we do here, which is cooperative economics, yeah. um, and a number of different Kwanzaa principles. I mean, we celebrate every single principle of Kwanzaa, so. What was the name of your store in Copley? Um, C.O. Bigelow, which is in New York. Okay. It's um, in the village. Yeah. Um, and the store itself was an apothecary. So I come out of fashion, I come out of beauty, um, and I scaled my way into um, management via becoming a makeup artist, launching my own line of cosmetics called Lip Hop, mm -hmm. and then getting back in the industry as a manager to figure out how I could get Lip Hop into distribution channels. And so these are the things you have to do if you don't have open doorways and people don't believe that you can be an entrepreneur um, because of, you know, different frameworks or mindsets and paradigms that are limited to only one demographic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I brought Lip Hop to the forefront and started working for Sephora, went to their corporate offices in San Francisco and pitched it to the merchants, 
they looked at me as though I was speaking another language. <laughs> uh, and now you have this billionaire company that Rihanna has created, which literally came out of the concepts of lip hop, you yeah, know, and yeah. some of the bridging cultures and gaps that, you know, we all know now, or at least, you know, there's a lot of discussion around culture gaps and, you know, racial equity and social justice um, within different fields. But back in the 2000s, it was still very much, um, you know, a Eurocentric aesthetic that was um, highlighted and uplifted. Yeah, it's it's probably growing up was just probably provincial. <sighs> was there were malls? Yes. When I was a kid, the and theater. Yeah, they had movie theaters, Chili's. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like it was a regular mall. <laughs> right, right. And it, now it's Boston has gentrified so much. It's literally like it's a way of saying no poor people, please, without yeah. having a sign that says no poor people. Yes. Yeah. All the mm -hmm. stores have armed security. Yeah. You have Gucci, mm -hmm. all of the most expensive things ever. It's insane. Yeah. They're basically like, we don't want any mom and pop. Right, we right, want right. Dollars, dollars, dollars. Right, it's, right. It's a tragedy. I had that conversation with um, uh, someone that I know that's founding a business here, a uh, very great, a great business for Nubian Square. It's a food market. And uh, he had a, a, a kiosk and then a space inside of the Prudential's food court. Yeah. And literally, he was paying already seven thousand a month for that space, and they wanted to increase it by thirty-seven percent. And he just, you know, couldn't sustain that as a small business owner. And so you bring up really, um, you know, prominent thoughts and, and really relevant thoughts when it comes down to economies of scale. How do we, as um, as as black people, as women, as uh, young people, because those are all gaps within entrepreneurship that need to catch up to the mainstream and catch up to the segment um, that typically has had the privilege and priority um, for hundreds of years in this country. So what do we do? How do we solve our own problems? And how do we put a format together or a platform together where uh, we have shared experiences and we can discuss things and we have opportunities to ideate uh, inside of safe spaces. That was so thorough, thank you. Uh, I love your answers. Uh, walk me through getting to here. Oh. So, because I, I love the idea of a retail space. Yeah. I feel like, how do I, I have no idea how to make it tangible. And I think brick and mortar is so important. Yeah. So from well, thought to... Yeah, thought to uh, action, to, like thought to implementation. Um, I think part of this is who Chris and I are. A, I have background in retail. That means I know how to hire. That means I know how to merchandise. You know, it know I know how to, uh, you know, build an operations plan for a store. And I know how to answer to a corporate uh, directive because the stores that I manage literally would have corporate um, owners. And with my husband, he comes from an immigrant perspective where his family left Jamaica, went to London, had he and him and his siblings and then came here in the early 70s. This is the 50th year that his family has been inside of the United States and they established like 13 businesses. Mm. Um, and those businesses were uh, mainly West Indian driven. His father was the first president of the Caribbean Cultural um, Center on Blue Hill Avenue and also the president of the Windsor Cricket Club. They established a network 
of West Indians. It was almost like the second dispensation for West Indians to populate the city. Mm -hmm. The first one was here in Roxbury, which is how we got Louis Farrakhan. We got uh, Malcolm X, who's from Grenada. We have those, you know, um, those thought leaders from Roxbury. And so the combined energy, and I have immigrant um, history as well through um, Guyana and through Nova Scotia, through the Underground Railroad Passage from Virginia. And so our energy, our, our, I think our business acumen, our desire to see good happening inside of our community and to be willing to creatively solve problems literally was directed by energy that came out of a Nubian Ocean, which was our anchor black business for over 50 years that was closing. Mm -hmm. And we knew they were closing. We have a close relationship with the family. And we knew that we needed to do something. We didn't know exactly what that was. We were hot off the trail of our 25th wedding anniversary in Egypt, where we just went ham. We went to, you know, we took about, I would say about 10 flights. We stayed in about seven different places. We visited everything we could, but those pyramids, when we went down into the belly of the, the um, you know, uh, the pyramids of Giza, we literally became impregnated and came home. And we drove through what was then Dudley Square, and we stopped at different points and we looked at different places. And this was the last place that we stopped at. And it was empty, it was raw. And I looked in the window and I was like, wow. And I, I just saw that there could be some great possibility. Didn't know exactly what that was. Yeah. Called the number, came back the next day, saw the place with the realtor. Uh, there was another couple here. Can't, you had to have a poker face, can't tell them what you want. Yeah. As soon as I walked through that threshold, I knew this was our space. Yeah. And we signed leases within 36 hours, and then 90 days later, after thinking about concepts, what could happen in the space, and understanding that it would take about a quarter of a million dollars for us to fill it with inventory, uh, started to think about the same business model of Nubian Ocean, taking products from the African diaspora and bringing them back home yeah. and selling them and having women's co-op opportunities, things of that sort. Ended up going to Senegal, Paris, and Morocco 90 days after we signed leases. And when we're on our last couple of days on the beaches of Senegal, the most western point on the tip of Africa where a lot of our ancestors were stolen and taken um, and sold um, as commodities, we were on the beach and it dawned on me that this actually could be a cooperatively shared space. And we could set up tables and we could sell those tables to small businesses who wanted to be able to pop up and create a marketplace energy, which is so worldly and so global every you know everywhere we go there's a marketplace and i love a good marketplace i love the exchange i love idea exchange energy exchange commerce i love the haggle and although we don't necessarily haggle here it still shares a lot of that afro-centered kind of custom and way of life and it has become it has since become a young institution black market um i went to a school this morning to speak to some um, some of our, our kids, uh, my son teaches at one of the public schools and he's an art teacher and 
the principal asked me to come in and talk about career because career isn't just go to work for somebody else. Career is work for yourself. Um, and what does that look like? And what is your personality? Is it such that you want to, you know, not listen to anybody like me, like Kai? Or do you want to kind of go lock and step inside of like a track? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was interesting because, you know, those young folks really started to come up with ideas themselves. We, we split them up in groups. And one of those young folks, actually, his mom is a friend of Black Market. He grew up coming here for the last five years. Mm. When he, I first met him, he must have been about seven or eight. And now he's literally like in middle school, getting ready to go to high school. He's taller than me. And he's a young artist himself. And so the influence and effect that this space has had on um, the intergenerational mix of the demographic here is uh, simply incredible. And it's, I don't think there's a space like it. Um, and I would say there's no space like it in New England. You, you would probably go to Nubian, I think it's New Human Market mm-hmm. in DC. There's a couple yeah. of markets that I follow um, that I admire. But outside of that, uh, well, New York has a, a couple, but people come from New York to vend with us. People nice. come yeah. from. You know, they come from as far as, I mean, we've had folks come from as far as the West Coast because they come visit family. And so they'll say, hey, while I'm here, I'd like to set up a table, showcase, yada, yada, yada. Um, and they're part of the black market fabric. Nice. All right, so how long has it been? 2017. And this, this is our fifth year. So June 9th and June 10th, 2017. And this year is special because we're actually bringing the hip-hop legend KRS-One um, right on the Black Lives Matter street mirror was setting up our block party this year. And so we're celebrating um, with a symposium, with a meet and greet, with a block party, and it's called By the Block, which helps people to understand there's more to living somewhere if you can uh, up the quality of life and actually retain um, your residency if you can purchase. I'll definitely be there. Oh, good. Yeah. June 11th. Yeah, and I'm so there. there's a whole program yeah. for that. But So for anyone looking to maintain a space like this, I'm glad I'm like yourself. I want a space like this. What are what should they be on the lookout for? What tips could you give someone just to kind of plan the right way? Yeah, um, great question. I think everybody's aesthetic is different. And I think your style has to kind of match, your curation style of your space should match your brand identity. And so for us, you know, we tend to partner a lot with local artists and muralists like um, Pro Black, uh, Rob Gibbs, AKA Pro Black, who gave us She, which is part of, uh, it's part of his Breathe Life series, but it's um, Breathe Life X almost. It's like the one that isn't, really uh, seen all the time. But this really is a representation of how you can shift energy and narrative. Because if you look at her, her essence, you know, and just her uh, non, you know, I guess uh, she, she's non-conforming in my mind. Um, she's at peace. You know, what we try to do is bring you know, the spirit of, um, you know, of unity, togetherness, and a spirit of vibrancy 
that reflects us because we're being gentrified so heavily and displaced so heavily, we don't see ourselves in our community anymore. And it's unfortunate um, because we need to be able to envision, you know, the change that we want to see and we need to be able to have the tools to implement the change that we want it to be. So history, understanding who we are, yeah. where we come from, uh, then identifying your current status and solving a problem for your community. We saw that there was a problem that needed to be solved in multiple ways, and we tied revenue models to those problems, and now we're able to sustain the space and the community if we have the right balance, and that's always tricky because some of our community does not have the financial means yeah. Um, and so at times what we try to do and what I would recommend to other entrepreneurs are find corporate donors, corporate sponsors, people that can help you to manage, you know, your, your profit and loss, your P&L, because if I need the Haley House, if they need space to come in, I'm not going to charge them a corporate rate. I'm going to charge them a nonprofit rate. But you have the corporate donors that are balancing out the equation yeah. because they can help us um, to, to ensure that our neighbors can have sustainable opportunities. Nice. So I'm just loving this energy, by the way. Like it's, uh, I love it. You got like the, the, this, this Diana Ross, the player, but it's all therapy goes of it. It's like and super And I love Diana, right but let's reference Donna because Donna's from Roxbury. Donna okay. Summers. Yeah, Donna Summers. There Donna you go. Summers from yeah. Roxbury. So, yeah. Cool. So I want to, we've interviewed uh, a few businesses that have partnered with the Boston Eugene Project. Um, so I get on this point. There's a lot, not a lot. There are black businesses that are out here, black people that run businesses that are out here, but to me, they're just businesses run by black folks that do the same kind of sharky corporate tactics that everyone else is doing. Sharky corporate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and I, the businesses that partner with Eugene Project, and you've already hit on principles. They have yeah. pr principles that they run mm -hmm. by. Why is that so important to you? And how, yeah, like, because I feel like so many people will go that way and say, look, right. we want a business, we're trying to make money, mm -hmm. I want to be, you know, I want to be like, there's no, I'm seeing more people guide by specific principles. Right, so, and we are mission-driven business. Um, I told you earlier, you know, um, and in my opinion, this is my opinion, it is not healthy to have the majority of your business spaces and your storefronts be uh, taken over by non-for-profit entities. It's not healthy to have that. You can't have a business district with a school in it. And I know that people will be like, oh, why are you so anti-school? I'm not anti-school. I, I was raised by educators. Like, that is so, like, far from the truth. What I am anti is having to be a dependent. And so we've created through this industrial complex of nonprofits, it's created this mentality of dependency where I need to be going to someone to get something. Am I anti-services? No. Have I been on welfare? Yes. I was a young teen parent uh, back in the late 80s. So for me, it's not about um, not having services. It's how can we utilize those services for a period of time and springboard. And what the Ujima Project can do if they have the will and the intention is they can help that gap. Uh, because that was always something that was difficult for me to understand how would I leave subsidized housing and come off of welfare even though I was going to Bentley College um, and working at the Freedom House as an intern. 
Um, and I had somebody in um, my corner, <laughs> my welfare worker, actually, who would turn a blind eye because he knew I was trying. Yeah. And he saw those internship checks and he just let those, you know, he bypassed those and didn't incorporate it. Because you could only have, you could only have less than $5,000 worth of assets when you are on welfare. Yeah. And you had a president, President Bush Sr., who was, you know, qualifying any, you know, young black woman as a teen mom. Like, everything was about, you know, politicizing things yeah. instead of really creating support systems to springboard. Um, and so when you have false narratives of everybody in this country pulling themselves up by their bootstrap, which is not true. Um, the majority of folks that created wealth created wealth off the backs of different cultures, whether it was uh, to enslave Africans or to have indigenous, or not indigenous, but um, um, uh, serv servants, the, um, the types of servants, the Indigenous? Indentured servants. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, indentured yeah. servants, because that <laughs> happened too. There were a lot of Asians, there were a lot of Indians. Yeah. I mean, it's just part of the cycle of, of colonialism. Yeah. And so what you want to do is you kind of want to disrupt that. And so you need partners to do that. And Africans have always had different partners, whether it was themselves, their family that had um, raised enough capital to get their family out of enslavement, mm -hmm. whether it was abolitionists, black abolitionists, and white abolitionists, Quakers. There's been a history, and that spirit in history is here in Roxbury. We had that here. Harriet Tubman was here. Frederick Douglass was here. William Lloyd Garrison was here. We raised money for Booker T. Washington, okay, to do the work and establish Tuskegee Institute. Like, we... It, what we try to do here at Black Market is be the disruptors that remind folks of how great we are. You know, not because we're super wealthy. My wealth will come through the trajectory of real estate development, which is now occurring because we took a chance on this, this space. And so there's an empty lot here, two acres that the city of Boston owned, and we got designation. We partnered with the development team because this vision needs to be expanded. And we want to continue to see ourselves here. So, you know, my money will come from development without displacement. This is, um, a, this, this space and this concept really has to do with how we seed and create an economy, you know, and how we see this ecosystem having a circular motion to recycle dollars right back into the black community versus leakage, which in 2012, the BPDA put out a survey and said there was $14 million worth of leakage here in Dudley Square. So that means we took, we have to take our money outside of our community. Yeah. If I want healthier food, if I want a glass of wine somewhere, because yeah. there's no liquor license here, all of our liquor license went to the seaport. Like it's always inequity. I'm not worried about equality. I've been equal. I'm human. I don't, equality doesn't make, that doesn't, that argument doesn't even make sense to me. Um, equity, however, is what we should be all talking about because if we strengthen Roxbury and the black and brown communities of the, of the city of Boston, then Boston is strengthened all together. And there's no such thing as one Boston. If, there's one economy happening here and a totally different economy happening here.
That's right, Harriet Tubman. Man, this interview's got That's me it. going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's it. This is. I love this interview. Auntie Harriet. So, what does the future hold? The future holds. Well, for black market, the future holds. I think a lot of opportunities um, that we will continue to advocate for, that we will continue to uh, envision for ourselves, and actually bring tools and partners in and advocate for them to see the need to reinvest because we have had, you know, the red line around Roxbury in particular, and this is my home base, and this is what I know. That was intentional, um, and that was an intentional way to say, you, nobody is allowed to invest in this portion of the city, and there's also a highway that's gonna be coming through at the same time. And Roxbury is the only neighborhood in the United States that stopped a major highway from coming through. And those were my parents, my uncles, my aunts, my play uncles and aunts, my people that did that. Chuck Turner, Mel King, my dad, Dr. Clifford B. Jamie, they were the ones that had the audacity to say, not today, it's not gonna happen. And so we live on through that spirit, you know, of people, power, and prosperity. Those are some of the mantras that we believe in and the operating principles, you know, that, that we, I think, uphold. And when people say black people in Boston are just crabs and they can't get along and they never get together, this is why you have partnerships, so that you can quell that negative narrative you know, which leads to nothing but a net negative zero. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want to just complain or do you want to be a part of the solution? What you going to do? Is a revolution happening and is a renaissance happening? And somebody has to have the courage to stand up and say, you know what? We deserve better because, you know, the inequities and the, the structural racism and the historical, you know, codified racist laws that created, you know, a bankrupt area, never bankrupt its people in the sense where we have people that are assets, we have cultural assets here, we have the most magnificent artists that are here, and you'll see it. We created and helped to implement all of the art that you see here through the Nubian Square Public Art Initiative. The art that's on this building, the art that's on the Nubian Gallery, the Black Lives Matter Street mural, and the Coretta and Dr. King mural, which is the Roxbury love story, because they fell in love right here in Nubian Square. I'm going to package this interview. Like, everyone yeah. who's ever had anything bad to say about Boston, they're getting this. They're getting oh, they all, get all of this. Yeah, they're getting all, they're all of it. All this. All this is your playground. You know, we got New Edition. You know, we got Topper Karu, who is the creator of The Martin Show who's from OP, like my dad, in New Edition, who's over at MIT now. We have Donna Summer, um, you know, we have Malcolm grow up here, Martin, Louis Farrakhan grew up here. You have Harriet Tubman, you have Marcus Garvey, who established um, the UNIA in Boston. The Black Panthers were here with uh, Stokely Carmichael um, as a part of that Stop by 95 movement. Um, we have Ruth Batson, we have Susan Batson, her daughter, who is a Hollywood, um, um, she's a, a, someone that trains actors and actresses in Hollywood. 
you have the Johnson crew, um, which created, you know, a uh, form of hip hop. And the, 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 the person who wrote Planet Rock is from Boston, he's a white guy. Um, I mean, there's so much, you know, New Kids on the Block, they did all of their recordings here in the Mari Star studio with New Edition, right here in Roxbury. Um, there's so much, um, you know, there's so much, I think, you know, thought leadership and world changers and game changers. Natalie Cole's mother is from Roxbury. Um, you know, you have some of the greatest artists um, that were in the Harlem Renaissance that are from here as well. Um, it's just astounding to me that we haven't had our stories told in a comprehensive fashion. And that's one of the things we're working on at Black Market, because we want to see a Roxbury film. One that really, you know, highlights the fact that, yes, Black people are not just existing in Boston, but we're actually living. And we have been a part of, you know, the, the thought leadership within every sector, whether it's medical, whether it's, it's uh, sports industry, whether it's institutions and universities, whether it's banking, whether it's real estate development, um, and so forth and so on. And so it's not an easy thing to pass the baton, but one of the things I love so much is that the next generation embraces black market and they enjoy utilizing the space um, for different charrettes and different you know, activities that would be inclusive of mixers and jam sessions and, you know, uh, conversations that are, I think, going to literally change the fabric. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time yeah, to do this. We it, appreciate it. Thank this, you for listening. It's been very beneficial. Uh, there's a lot of information I have to unpack from this. Um, it's just very invigorating. This was very, uh, very beneficial for me. Um, and thank you for creating this space. Um, how can people support you? Oh, um, follow us on IG. So Black Market Nubian um, for the elders. We're on Facebook as well. Um, and I would say come to our block party. Um, we have a meet and greet on Thursday, June 9th. We have um, a symposium on June 10th, which is Friday. And then on Saturday, we have our buy the block party. Over 40 vendors will be represented. We'll be doing live murals. Um, you know, the legendary KRS-One will be with us all three days right here in Nubian Square. We're excited. Nice. So, so again, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in for another episode of Yours, Mine, and Ours. Uh, it's just really good to see these local businesses and the Boston Ujima Project doing so many great things. We're just happy we get to yeah. be here thank and be you. a part of it. We do have a GoFundMe. We do have a Venmo account. Please support us financially because um, the majority of these activities are free. And that's not an easy thing to do because we also want to be able to sponsor some of the vendors that may not be able to afford to vent. So. Sounds great. I'm, I'm support. Thank you. I got to hold myself oh, to it. And beautiful. I'm be so go find me. I'm going to send you, I'm yeah. going to text you the link. You got it. And I'll yes. make sure we share the information. I appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah. thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank um, you. Until next time, yours, mine, and ours. Peace.